Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Sibling Chivalry. I am Sarah Beth, as always. Today is going to be another solo day. We had another scheduling conflict. I've been trying to get Megan from South Africa, uh, but you know, stuff keeps happening, scheduling conflicts. Um, so hopefully I will be able to get her on here soon. Um, not a whole lot going on for me today. Um, been keeping busy with work, worked all weekend. Um, and now just, you know, diving into the week, but I wanted to do a short episode and talk about, um, mindset and, um, frame of mind, um, during the passing of your sibling. Um, Aaron was sick a lot and, um, he didn't, his immune system, they told us was pretty much non-existent. Um, when he was younger, we lived in Oklahoma, I believe it was Oklahoma. They did some transfusions, um, to kind of help boost his immune system and he was doing okay on those. And then he had one and he just had this horrible, violent reaction to it. And so we had to stop. And so he could get sick very easily and a simple cold for him could turn into double pneumonia very quickly. So we dealt with sickness quite a bit with him and every time he would get sick, you know, we would kind of hold our breath and hope that it didn't turn into anything other than, you know, my mild cold or, or whatever. Um, he didn't really have very many scary moments in Oklahoma so much. Um, there were a couple times in Michigan when it, you know, he would have to be hospitalized. Um, he had quite a few cases of double pneumonia, um, you know, and it was always this, well, Aaron's going to make it through. He, he makes it through every time he's going to come through it. He's going to be fine. And that was always our, our frame of mind whenever Aaron got sick. He's gotten through it before. He's going to get through it this time. And you kind of have to adopt that mind frame because if you let your mind go to the other extreme, then um, it becomes really hard to be there for them in the way that you need to. Um in those moments, Aaron really needed his mom and his dad and his sister to be there for him, to, you know, fight for him, to be his advocates, to be his voice. And <clears throat> you can't really be someone's advocate and voice if you are constantly being a worrywart. Like, is he going to come through this? Oh, he might not come through this. You know, oh, the double pneumonia might claim him this time. You know, 
you kind of had to make yourself be positive and think that he's going to make it through this one because you also don't you also don't want to think about the possibility of him not making it through and not being there anymore um because that's just a reality you don't want to face that's not a a future you want to face is a future without them and so we continued on with this mind frame and so when we moved to Kansas I really feel like when we got to Kansas that's that's really when everything started to go south um he was um he was I feel like he was in the hospital a lot more once we moved to Kansas you know but we still continued with that mindset oh he's pulled through before he'll pull he'll pull through this one and you know it he did you know he would get sick I mean there were I remember one time in particular after I had moved out and we had gone to um, my partner Tanner's mom's house. We were doing a family night or something and he was in the hospital, my brother, and I remember getting a text. I can't remember if it was from my mom or my dad, but the gist of it was we are in a situation where you need to have your phone on you and turned on at all times. And when you get that kind of text message, your mind can go to one of two places. It can go to that mindset of he's pulled through he'll pull through again. But there's also that, that frame of mind of, well, crap, you know, could could this be the time that he doesn't pull through and I lose my brother and so for me I feel like starting then with that one and I think it that one that that night was a couple years before he passed um maybe like two years before he passed I think I think my mindset started to change then Um, and I think something inside of me knew that my mindset needed to change um, to kind of prepare myself for when it did inevitably happen Um, obviously I didn't want to live without him. You know, I didn't want to live in a world without my brother, but I knew that if, and it's almost like it happened, you know, subconsciously without even thinking about it because the next few times where he got super sick, I wasn't really in the mind frame of, I he'll pull through it. It was more like, is this the time I lose my brother? And it was a hard transition from my way of thinking when it changed because 
it became a a scary thing whenever he would get hospitalized for something because I think that's when fear and doubt started to creep into my mind and anytime he would get hospitalized it's like because he would be they had hospitalized him a couple times um at a hospital that was just like a couple blocks away from my parents house but the bulk of his doctors were were at KU Medical Center and so um that's where he was at most of the time and that was like a good 20 minute drive for me as opposed to like a 10 minute drive to the hospital that was close to my parents. So then it became whenever he was sick and hospitalized, well, what if something happens and I can't get there in time? That was one of my fears is not being able to get there in time, getting a call and trying to get there and, and not getting there in time. Like I walk in the door and they're disconnecting everything and you know you you see when the people pass on like medical tv shows that like pulling the sheet over them and covering them and it was always my fear that I would walk into a hospital room and there would be a sheet pulled over my brother and my parents are crying and I didn't make it in time and so um my 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 frame of mind changed drastically in those last couple years um just that fear of not making it in time and so in that last year and I think I think I remember having a conversation with my mother where I think she started to kind of feel like it was coming because his birthday's in December and we never we almost never get to do anything fun for his birthday because it's cold outside and snow and ice and everything because it's December So she decided in the summer that the summer of the year that he turned 30 uh, to do, uh, which would have been 2019, we did a half year birthday party. Um, They had built him a a car wash. Um, They had constructed... um, was a whole frame of PVC pipe with holes drilled every so often and they hooked up a hose to it so the water would squirt out of all these little holes and they had little pool noodles and stuff like that hanging down and we would push him through it on his wheelchair and so we decided to invite a family over from church that had some some kids they had a couple kids and they came over and we had a birthday party for him in the summer and you know he had moments where he smiled and stuff like that it was mainly when he ate food um but we we had that party for him and of course after Aaron passed it was like you know huh it's kind of funny it's almost like something inside of us knew that that was his last year and we wanted to make it as good as possible. And so, of course, it wasn't long after that the last decline started. And by this time, I was already in the mindset of, you know, 
it's one of these times is going to take him. It's not always going to be a, he'll bounce back. He'll, he'll make it through. And so when he got sick and I remember the first time I, and I've, I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this when I did my first podcast and, and read the thing that I wrote, but I remember my dad had given me a call and so I headed over there and I remember walking in the door and he was laying on the couch in his front room and I had just seen him. It, it couldn't have been more than just a couple days prior. And I remember him laying on the couch. And I have a picture of this too. And I, I kept any picture that I took of him in those last months. Um, some of them are just, they're horrendous to anybody outside of our family to look at just because they weren't in it. But to me, they're still memories of my brother. So I can't, I can't bring myself to, to delete them. But he's laying on the couch and his little face is so sunken in and he's all dark circles around his eyes and his cheekbones are really sunken in and I remember I just kind of, it was just like somebody slapped me in the face when I saw him like that and in my mind I was like, this is it. This this is it. And, um, so they called an ambulance because my parents were like, Hey, can you, can you sit with him for a bit? And so I'm sitting there with my brother and all of a sudden he just starts crying and it's not the, the type of crying. Now, like he's like, like angry cried when we tried to make him watch a video before, but this was nothing like that. And my mom was like, what's that sound? I was like, mom, Aaron's crying. And she came out there and she instantly knew something was wrong. And so we called an ambulance and they came out. My mom rode with them to the, to the hospital and, you know, they got him, you know, I, I didn't go with them at at that point. Um, but it was the, the first of several stays for him where they would get him in there, they would fix the symptoms, but not the problem, and send him home. And my mind started to kind of play tricks on me a little bit. Like they would get the symptoms all good, and then they would send him home, and then I'd be like, well, maybe, maybe he might make it through this. And it would kind of give you just this tiniest bit of false hope. And then he would go in again. And it it, it was just the constant roller coaster those last few months. And um, then he was in the hospital at Thanksgiving. And that was the absolute suckiest Thanksgiving <laughs> from a food standpoint um my mom usually cooks this awesome amazing thanksgiving meal and here we were sitting in a hospital cafeteria eating the weird concoctions that the hospital 
cooks came up with and it was weird. It was nothing like a traditional Thanksgiving meal at all. But we had to spend Thanksgiving in the hospital and you know, my parents started making the decision to move Aaron's guardianship over to Kansas because when we lived in Michigan, um, he turned he turned eighteen in Michigan, and so my parents had to get guardianship over him since he was an adult. We needed to have that, and so they had gone through that process in Michigan. Um, they were told when we moved to Kansas they didn't need to do anything. But then turns out that we did. And so then it was this mad dash to get it all uh, switched over to Kansas. Because we wanted to put him on, on palliative care. But we couldn't make that kind of decision for him in Kansas unless it had been switched over. So we got that switched over and we put him on palliative care. And at this point, my frame of mind was, this is it. And I think, I think my mom was still sort of holding on to a little bit of hope that maybe it would get better because they do say that people come off of palliative care. It it is possible it's happened, but in my mind, he was done and these were going to be the last, last moments that I had with him. And so, um, we decided that, you know, so they had started the, the process, you know, and then he was in the hospital again for his birthday. And I think by the time his birthday rolled around, they had gotten everything switched over and, and, and all that, because it was a, a whole legal process that we had to do. And, um, but they, I think they finally had it switched over by that point in time. And, um, but yeah, he was in the first birthday and I can't remember if he came home and went back in one more time before Christmas. It's all, it all kind of blurred together, but for his birthday, we brought up cupcakes. Um, you know, I made him a, a sign that said, you know, happy 30th birthday. And I bought him a... Winnie the Pooh blanket um, and then a, a stuffed Winnie the Pooh and we put the blanket on him in the hospital and you know he we had a couple people stop by and say happy birthday and um, it was rough you know usually his birthday kind of kicks off the holiday for us um, because his birthday is December 10th so it's it's two weeks before we start Christmas and it was really hard to get into the spirit of the holidays you know your brother's in the hospital he's he's weak he's super sick he's super thin and all sunken in and barely get a smile and how how does one celebrate the holidays when you know you're that close to losing your sibling um it was it was really tough 
And like I said in my first podcast, our wish at that point became let us just let him come home for Christmas. And I think everybody at this point um, was in the frame of mind that, you know, this is it. And I tried to get up there as much as I could. I was still working all this time. And every time I'd go up there, I didn't want to leave. But I knew that I had to. I had stuff to do at home. I had work. And and my mom was the one. Anytime he was in the hospital, she stayed with him. And so she's basically living at the hospital with him. And sometimes dad would take a, take a shift. Um, but he had work too. And um, I can't remember. But he came home in time for Christmas. I don't remember what day it was that he came home, but he came home in time for Christmas. And like I said in our, in our, in my first podcast, our, our mindset and our mind frame became, let us get through the holidays. Just let us get through Christmas and New Year's with him, with him at home. And then whatever happens afterwards happens. But we just wanted to have, we didn't want to spend Christmas in the hospital the last thing we wanted to do and we made it we made it through the holiday and like I said I don't remember if he went in one more time or not but they came to the decision that enough was enough the hospital visits every time it was just fixing the symptoms but not the problem the doctors had no idea what was going on. He had a huge team of doctors and they had no idea what was going on, what was causing all of this. And so we decided that's it. And he was on, like I said, we put him on the palliative care. He came home and I think that's, I think he might have gone in one more time for a couple days, like in between January 1st and then when he passed. Um, but they sent him home on palliative care. He, he must have gone in one more time. Like I said, it's, it's, it's those last two or three months were just a blur. But he came home on palliative care, you know, and I can say 100% that at that point, my mind frame is I don't have much longer. I don't know exactly when, but I don't have much longer. And so it became evident that palliative care wasn't doing it. You could tell he was still in a lot of pain. And so they made the call to switch him to hospice. And that for me was the final nail in the coffin of any hope that he would come out of this. Um usually when you hear somebody's been put on hospice, it's a situation of, oh, well, you're getting ready to lose your loved one. And, you know, I'm really sorry. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And, um, once he went on hospice, um, I remember at that point, 
my frame of mind was I can't leave him I can't leave his side but at the same time I couldn't just not work and until he passed you know I didn't really have any vacation at that point in time to cover anything so um that last week because he was only on hospice for about a week I think at the most I basically moved in moved back in with my parents and um I think in that last week I maybe only stayed one night at home and um I remember it was one of those first nights he was on hospice that um we ended up having to call them um, because we could tell he was in a lot of pain and she came out, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning that she was there and just helping us figure out you know, pain meds and everything and you know, it was I would literally I would sleep there and then I would get up and I would go to work and I would, you know, say, you know, stop by the house and say hi to Tanner and the boys, and I was right back at my parents. And I think Tanner came over a couple times. Um, but I remember the, the last time, and I remember I was at work, and I had just gotten to work, and the store hadn't opened yet. And I was going to check my emails and my dad called and was like, you need to, you need to come home. And that was hard. That's the call that I had always feared getting. And so I told the other manager that was there, I was like, hey, I gotta go. And... I got there and he was rough and that was the night that we decided to take the two hour shifts and not leave him alone at all and I remember it it was weird it I kind of just went on autopilot and I remember when the nurse was there that night and I just, I remember talking to her and saying, I don't, I don't feel like I should go into work tomorrow because I was scheduled to work the next day. I was supposed to close and I was like, I don't, I don't feel right going to work tomorrow. And she was like, if your gut is telling you to not go, she was like, I wouldn't go. She didn't even think that Aaron would be around much longer. And so we did our two hour shifts all through the night I remember texting my boss um what was going on and she was trying to get me to come in she was like you know telling me well technically I have to start using your bereavement days today if you don't come in she was like but if you come in and at least work six to close work for three hours because you're my only closer and um, I remember thinking I'm just like in my, you know, in my head at that moment, it was like, really? <laughs> you know, um, you know, I get it. 
you know, there's a business to run and whatnot. But in that moment, it was just like, I, I can't, I can't leave him. I don't want to risk it. I didn't want to risk going to work and I'm the only one there closing. So I can't leave. And then getting a phone call in those three hours of, Hey, he's going get here. So I told her, I was like, I, I can't, I can't come in. I can't, I need to be here. And at that point in time, we were all there. Tana was there. I was there. My parents were there. And I remember sitting on the couch. And my mom had stayed, was staying in there with him. And my mind went through some weird stuff that day. Like, it was such a roller coaster. But I remember sitting there on the couch, just kind of staring. And Tanner came and sat down next to me. And in my mind, the one thought that was there was, I'm about to lose my brother. I knew it was going to happen. And I knew it was closer than it had ever been before. And that's the one thing that kept going over in my mind. I'm going to lose my brother. There was no more hope. There was no more he's going to pull through. You know, because sometimes there was... There was that thought of, come on, God. Pulling through. You know, if anybody can, you can. But at that moment, I wasn't even thinking that anymore. It was, I'm going to lose him. And then that moment when my mom called for my dad and then my dad went in and he called for me. And right then, I remember in that split second before I stood up to go down in there, in my mind, just myself saying to myself in my mind, this is it. So as I walked down the hallway... You know, and tried to prepare myself. But nothing could prepare myself for what I saw. And I know I had said that I wanted to be there. And so I walked in and I still remember his little body arching up like he was trying to get a breath and he couldn't and every time it happened it was just like oh please just take him and then he was gone and it's the weirdest thing that I've ever been through but we had our moment cry and let it out in that moment that he was gone and I remember standing there and looking at my parents and I remember thinking okay you lost your brother and you're sad all you want to do is crawl into a ball and cry. But you can't 
do that now. Because in that moment, my parents were not being strong. They had just lost their baby boy and they were not strong. And so, and I've mentioned this before, it was literally like a light switch. And I just turned it off. And I knew in that moment that my frame of mind had to switch. I had to be strong. Because I knew it would be a while before my parents could be. And so I dried my tears and started to help plan for his funeral. And, you know, I figured I pretty much stayed with my parents until the day before the funeral because we had family come in and they were staying with my parents. But it was, it was weird. You know, we were sad, but we had all this stuff that needed to get done. And I remember, you know... I remember asking the funeral director, what do we need to bring for him? Um, you know, because we, we're going to have to go to the funeral home the next day to kind of go through what we wanted for the service and all that. But, you know, asking questions that needed to be asked. You know, my dad had called the funeral director and told them to come. My mom was just sitting there staring at Aaron like she that day she she checked out and and rightfully so I mean I can only imagine like it sucked and I wanted to check out losing my brother but I can only imagine losing your baby boy um so I knew mom wasn't gonna be in the right mindset to ask questions and and you know in that moment she was focused on the fact that she had just lost Aaron and I know dad was still really shaken and, and so I had to step in and, and be the strong one and, and take care of them in this moment. And it's crazy how strong your mind can be sometimes. Cause looking back on it now, I don't, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I was able to just switch it off. I don't remember crying again at all until the funeral and it was just the weirdest, most bizarre couple of days from a mental standpoint. And um, I put together the slideshows that would play at his funeral. I was calling the florist and, you know, trying to figure out floral arrangements for him. And, and then the funeral came and it all fled back in. And it was like I was finally able to switch it back on and be there emotionally and um, you know touching his hand and kissing his face for the last time I had always been the type of person like at a funeral I wouldn't touch the person 
and I just thought it was weird, you know, because they're laying there and they're all cold. And I don't think that I actually touched my first dead body until my aunt passed away. Because I was just super close to her. And but with Aaron, it was the last time I was going to get to touch him. And I think that's when it really hit. And that's when it started for me. My whole trying to process it. And I remember going home that day. And of course my aunt's my aunt and my cousin were in town and two of my mom's brothers had come down for it. And so, you know, we uh, went and hung out at my mom's house that evening. All I wanted to do was go home and cry. But we were hanging out and then we went to the World War One Museum the next day, all of us. And, um, but once they were gone, and I had to go back to work, trying to switch back and get back to normal was so hard. I feel like I could have used a month of bereavement and it still wouldn't have been enough. But, and then of course, you know, a month and a half after his funeral, um, COVID kind of shut everything down. And um, my job closed because of COVID. And so it was closed for two and a half months. So here I am. I just lost my brother at his funeral on the 1st of February. And now I go into two and a half months of just sitting at home. And I kind of had to face my feelings and deal with them. And it was rough. My mental state was nowhere near good at all. I was angry. My my state of mind, my, my, my frame of mind became, well, why didn't you heal Aaron? You could have. You've done it other times before. Why couldn't you have healed him this time? Why did you have to take him now? And that's where the anger came in. It's very angry. Because I couldn't grasp why you would take one of the most sweetest boys in the world from his family. Why did he deserve it? And I got I got very angry. I was very angry. And once I processed the anger, then that's when I had to process the sadness. 
And it was like it just washed all over me all over again. And finally, now, I am in a place where I have come to grips with the fact that a year and a half ago, I lost my brother. He was very sick. And to wish him to continue to be here was wrong. He was in pain. And every day that he was here was another day that he was in pain. And I wouldn't wish that on him for all the time in the world to have him here. He's in a much better place. He's not in pain anymore. He's not hurting. And so I think my state of mind has finally recovered. Um, I can make it through a day without crying. <laughs> um, unless something that I see just really kind of smacks me the wrong way. Um, but I feel like I finally mentally recovered from it. I feel like I'm back to normal, which is weird to say having only him only been gone for a year and a half. It's weird to think that I feel like things are back to normal. You know, should I still be hardcore grieving at this point? You know, is it, you know, and I, and every person processes it differently, gets to different stages of grief differently and in different time frames, but I do. I feel like I'm I'm back to normal and I know that he wouldn't he wouldn't want me to be grieving and sad to the point where I can't get out of bed. He wouldn't want that. He would want me to be able to get out there and continue to live my life and but your your mindset and your mental state, your your frame of mind, it's it's funny how it can change and it's almost like a fight or flight type of thing and you know you switch it on you switch it off and it's weird but I wanted to talk about mental a mental state today because I feel like there are so many out there whose mental state is just completely Frayed and torn by living with a sibling with special needs, with losing a sibling with special needs, it literally rocks you to your core. And that can really mess with you mentally. And mental health is very important. Um, I discovered that myself going through this, how important mental health can be. You know, you have to, at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you um, to maintain a healthy mental state. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I finally am at a point in my life where mentally I feel good. And... It was a long journey. <laughs> it was an almost two, uh, two year journey, but I finally feel like I'm back. And I shared this today because 
I feel like there are those out there who are still struggling, you know, with their mental state. And I hope that this helps you work through whatever you're going through. Um, It definitely helps to hear somebody talk about it, to talk about it yourself. Um, And I would, I would highly suggest that if you are having a hard time with getting your mental health back on track to talk to somebody about it um there are plenty of professionals out there who are great they do a great job and um you know you can talk to a professional you can talk to a friend you can talk to your parents um just talking about it helps um but um yeah you know you you need to focus on mental health it is important your mental health can very much so affect your physical health and so you know be safe out there and you know stay healthy mentally um i know this is kind of like a i don't want to say downer because it's you know, I don't want to give it a, a bad label or anything. I know this was kind of a more somber episode, but I felt like it needed to happen. Um, I know every time I talk about something with my brother, it makes me feel a little better. Um, tears are healing, I always have thought. And so if my tears can help somebody heal, then crying and being all red faced was worth it but um, moving on to the future um, hopefully as long as I don't have any scheduling conflicts I should have a guest next week Um, so keep an ear out for that Um, And like I always say, go out there and make somebody smile. Somebody could be having the absolute worst day physically, mentally. And a simple smile or simple act of kindness could be the one thing that saves them. That, you know, somebody could be just so close to ending their life because their mental health is so unstable and they just can't take it anymore. Your simple act of kindness could be enough to stop them. So go out there, make somebody smile, you know, do a simple act of kindness, help somebody. And because you don't, you don't know, you don't know what your actions might accomplish on this earth. We, we may never know here on earth what our actions, what our actions can accomplish, what our actions can stop or start. But go out there this week make somebody's day that'll definitely help yours and we'll see you guys next week bye